Hello, I'm Dr. Kimberly O'Brien, a child psychologist, entrepreneur, and mum with a passion for problem solving and family adventures. Join me each week for practical tips and on-air consultations with the smartest, kindest parents and their incredible kids. Find answers faster, do things differently, and take your family further. This is impressive. This episode is sponsored by brightchild.com. Now let's get started. Hello and welcome to Impressive. This is episode two. My guest this week is Michael Peachy from CEO to seasoned family traveller. I was so happy to speak to Michael and to find out how he makes it happen and how he transitioned from a fairly high-paced, high-pressure position in Adelaide to now travelling kind of indefinitely with his family at a very leisurely pace just to spend more time with his kids and with his wife, Natalie. His children are aged between one and seven years. And so far, they have found that spending family time together has been the highlight of their trip. Uh, Michael is really generous in that he shares lots of tips on how to transition from the workforce into a fairly carefree lifestyle of travel, as well as giving us some tips on how to maintain employment while you're on the road. So without further ado, he also shares some resources which I'll share in the show notes like the four-hour work week and a Facebook group called Jobs for Families. So listen up and I hope you enjoy this episode. I know I did. Now the angle I was interested in for our interview today was you used to be a CEO based in Adelaide and then something happened. You, you decided you wanted to spend more time with the kids and be a better parent, you said. Can you tell me more about that decision and what it was like to step away from maybe a corporate life into more of a full-time parenting mode? Yeah, well, like you said, I used to be the CEO of a national organisation. It was in healthcare, so because we had a national footprint and my role was largely customer-facing, I was spending a lot of time on planes. But on top of that as well, I was also a officer in the Army Reserves and on top of that, I had a lot of other extracurriculars um, that are, you know, quite typical of, you know, a type A personality. And as my family was starting to grow, I was just realising I was missing out on some of the things that, you know, may seem small to a non-parent, but are really big, like missing that first step or hearing those first words and... When I was looking at my future, I could only see it getting more busy. And mm-hmm. so I thought, well, you know, what's actually more important to me and my family? Is it to do with, you know, having a high paying career, but lots of hours or spending time with my family? So, yeah, made the decision to scale back. And then the travel was a second part of that. That was a bit of an afterthought. So you were kind of thinking of just settling back into like a quieter life in Adelaide and then the idea came up to actually pack up and start moving? Yeah, so I always was under the perception or had the perception that the, 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 the grey nomads were the ones who sold up their house and travelled indefinitely in a caravan around Australia. And then one day my brother told me about some people that I knew through him who were, you know, in their late 30s, had three kids, uh, a good professional career, and that they had rented out their house for a year, taken a year off work, and were travelling around Australia in a caravan. And to me, that was such a foreign concept, and it just blew my mind. 
And then one day my wife, Natalie, came into me and said, look, you know, here's another family that's doing that. And this was other, another family and they were on YouTube and they were called Trip in a Van. And she was like, maybe we could do this. And I got, you know, onto the YouTube, went down the rabbit hole and started looking mm-hmm. and realised that there was a lot of other families who were just like us, who were doing the same thing. They had realised what was more important in life. They realised that, you know, if they didn't have a whole house to look after, uh, their expenses would actually go down and they'd have way more freedom and flexibility and, you know, do this travel thing. So see some amazing sights across Australia, but more importantly, you know, have some great time with their family. I love it. I love it. I want to hear more details about, you know, when you first took off and that adjustment, like coming, I'm guessing you, like how long was it from finishing up as a CEO to then starting out first day on the road? Well, the going from CEO to making that decision, that would have been the space of a few months. And so I scaled back a little bit anyway. But the moment we watched that YouTube video to hitting the road, we're talking maybe three months. So <laughs> it, was, it was actually quite sudden and yes. it, was, it was actually quite amazing. And so when we're talking adjustment, there was a lot of excitement. So it wasn't a thing of, it, was a, it wasn't a lifelong dream. It wasn't something we'd been planning on for several years. It was a case of, you know, we'd already been on this minimalist journey anyway of trying to declutter our lives, of our things, of our commitments And so it was a case of, okay, well, let's rent our house out. From a financial point of view, it worked out pretty much cost neutral. So there wasn't really going to be any harm doing that. And it was a case of, well, we can use this as a great opportunity to get rid of that kitchen table that we bought when we first moved into our first unit together and start afresh when we come back. And when we do come back, fill our lives with just the minimal things, the things that we need and things that we've intentionally planned and love anyway. So yeah. it was three months in that time. It was, um, you know, pretty exciting. We literally sold nearly everything. We've got a few things in storage. Um, don't ask me what they are. I can't even remember. That's how important they are to us. And so because of that excitement, the, that initial excitement was still there when we hit the road, which made it easier to adjust. So it was like a holiday because it was like we tra- planned a trip traveling around Asia or something. Yeah. You know, we packed up, we had what possessions we had left, we filled our caravan, which, you know, we had to buy for this trip, and we had this massive road trip plan, and then we got in the car and literally drove at five kilometres to the nearest caravan park. <laughs> so that adjustment, we actually stayed locally, and that allowed uh-huh. us and our children to, you know, sort of continue with those relationships and say farewells and not feel like we'd gone from nothing to zero or sorry, a hundred to zero straight away in terms of the people that we know, the things that we're involved in and everything as well. So that little transition period definitely helped. And Mm -hmm. that was probably, I guess, one of the keys to success and us still loving that this whole trip to this day. And before we get on to the fun part of the trip and then working and traveling and spending so much time with the family, I wondered if you could just circle back onto, you know, the change in your role and your identity from long hours and lots of responsibility to giving that up. Was there any kind of anxiety about, I don't know, falling behind in terms of your career path or making the wrong decision or, yeah, tell me from a professional point of view, what were the challenges? There was a lot of anxiety around that. And 
when I thought, you know, I've, I've reached this position here and I was on an upwards career trajectory, uh, the organisation I was involved with, uh, they were continuing to grow and looking at other acquisitions and it was part of a, a, a bigger private equity um, backed firm as well. And so there was a huge element of fear of, am I doing the right thing? And then mm-hmm. I thought about it and thought, you know, I'm 39 and what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is I come back in two or three years' time and I go back to being, um, you know, my, my initial profession was I used to be a physiotherapist. Well, I guess I still am one. Um, <laughs> and then I thought, you know, if that's the worst case scenario, that's not that bad. That's using that whole fear-busting approach has been the key to all of this. So throughout this whole process of not just letting go of the career, but letting go of our stuff, of our house, we're currently up in Darwin, it's always been a case of what's the worst that can happen. So trying to adopt that mindset and our whole family doing that was key. So, you know, I thought, well, the worst that can happen is I've quit my job we're in the middle of nowhere, the caravan catches on fire, someone steals our car, we've forgotten to renew the insurance and our house back in Adelaide is burnt down as well. And it's like, well, we could use a credit card, fly back home, stay at the in-laws, get a part-time job, get back up on our feet and have an amazing story to tell. So (laughs) from a professional point of view, I look at it from the perspective of if I have a gap on my resume of, you know, a year or maybe more, and I go to, you know, apply for a pretty commensurate job and a potential employer says, oh, tell me about this gap for a year on your resume here. What happened? And I tell them that we took a year off and had a gap year at the, you know, the age of 40 and spent a year travelling around Australia with the family. I couldn't actually see that impacting my career too negatively. And if I it, hear and if it's it, so positive. Yeah, and, and if it did, well, that employer wouldn't be the right fit for me anyway. Yes. Yes, I totally agree. I, I mean, if I was thinking of, you know, being interviewing someone who'd just taken a year off, I always just think, great, how char- like it's character building, there's so many stories to tell, and I feel like that's definitely a positive on anyone's resume. So, yeah, I totally take that point. I love that you're just busting fears and moving forward. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe having a bit of, um, you know, positivity blindness or something like that, whatever you want to call it. But I figured, yeah, what's what's the worst that can happen? Awesome. So now maybe do you want to just take me through like your top three highlights since you've been on the road and you've been spending more time with the kids? Now, oh, that might be hard. No, it's, it's actually quite easy and it's a question mm-hmm. we get asked quite commonly and I'd actually have to say that the biggest highlight, the number one benefit out of this whole trip is the time with the family. Now, people expecting me to say Uluru or Paranella Park or somewhere random, but the, the thing that really stuck out and very early on was I can't believe it's a Tuesday afternoon and I can just go guilt-free, go play Duplo, or I can go for a walk with the kids along the beach for two hours and build sandcastles and not be worrying about having to get home and mow the lawns or I don't have a report to write or... You know, we don't have a, a large house with a massive footprint to mop the floors. So having a caravan and living a mobile lifestyle, there's less of that daily administration and looking after your life. It's actually more about living your life. 
So mm-hmm. the number one thing is, yeah, you know, seeing nearly every single milestone of our one-year-old, have, seeing him take his, you know, progressing from sitting, rolling, crawling, taking first steps and seeing that whole thing is amazing. Seeing uh, my little boy who's four make the relationship between numbers and dates and learning about days of the week and being actively involved in that, that's amazing. Helping homeschool our little girl and being actively involved in her developing you know, her maths and English skills. That, that's the number one highlight I would say so far. That sounds really, really good. I'm thinking um, with so much awesome stress-free parenting time and just being there with the kids, how do you manage to balance like earning an income while you're travelling if you need to and then, yeah, what time of the day do you do it and how does that work out with the kids? Yeah, and this is probably one of the hardest things that we actually find, I'll be honest, in that especially for the first probably three months, it was like this is an amazing holiday. But we had to realise that this isn't a holiday. This is actually our lifestyle now. So Mm -hmm. things like work, exercise, getting to the supermarket to do groceries, we still had to prioritise those over playing with Duplo sometimes. And (laughs) so, yeah, so to make it easy, and I try to compartmentalise it as much as possible, and that would be my biggest tip, is that I do, I work pretty much a whole day every Monday, and mm-hmm. then I do other bits and pieces around the week as well. But I try to make those as, you know, separate from the family as possible. So, you know, when I've tried to do things like, okay, I've got a work-related email that I have to send. If I'm sitting there and the kids are around and they're wanting to have a chat to me about, you know, random questions, you know, do people eat bees or what's the hardest metal or, you know, just the, mm-hmm. the little questions that kids want to answer. I'm sidetracked, I'm distracted, I'm not giving the kids as much attention and time as they deserve, so I just have to move away. And Mm -hmm. moving away from the family and saying, look, I've got to go make a five-minute phone call, I'll see you in five, is way better than trying to make that phone call, which then takes 10 minutes and I'm holding a baby in one hand who's crying and then I've got someone else who wants some milk or something along those lines. So making that time and separating myself has been really important. So... Yeah, on a Monday, I pretty much lock myself in the car or it might be mm-hmm. at a cafe or the, Natalie, my wife, might take the kids out somewhere for the day and I'm in the caravan, the laptop open and the headset on. But other times as well, it's a case of not even trying to do anything work-related during the day, but I might get up early and I might, okay. or I might stay up late. So in one way, it's actually harder to find time for yourself because when you've got three kids, there's always one of them who wants some attention. And that's a good thing. And yes. It's just trying to balance that of, yeah, they all want attention. But in order to, you know, pay the bills, you do have to move away sometimes and get work done. And does Natalie do the same? Does she have a Natalie-only day, a little bit of solo time? Uh, she doesn't have a Natalie-only day, similar to myself for the rest of the week, where she'll move away and say, yeah, I need some time to myself. And mm-hmm. you know, it's not like we schedule it in on Outlook or anything. It's more of a, you know, oh, later on today at some point, I need two hours to myself. And it's like, yep, that's completely cool. Yeah, sounds like standard parenting style. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm just popping in here to let you know that Quirky Kid offers school-based programs. They can be facilitated in any school around the world. And we are really happy to train the facilitators. 
If you'd like to find out more about becoming a facilitator for a Quirky Kid program, or just to find out more about what programs we offer, you can go to quirkykid.com.au. That's Q-U-I-R-K-Y-K-I-D.com.au and have a look at our school-based programs. How about, um, yeah, making the money to continue your travels? Now, you produce this podcast and you also write content. Have you got any tips for other parents that are considering making that transition and then how to generate the income? Is it independently? Is that how you do it? Or, yeah, what would you suggest? So one of the first things, and I'm going to give some credit to Tim Ferriss here. If anyone, I love it. Oh. The four, <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. Four-hour work week. Four-hour work week. And uh, that was, I would have to say that was a life-changing book I read. And I agree. I, I read this book probably six or seven years ago and the concepts, although the execution may have changed in terms of the technology available, one of the fundamental concepts that I got from this book was focus on those things, you know, applying the 80-20 rule, focus on those things that provide the largest amount of results, but also try to make yourself as valuable to your employer as possible by doing the best job and the most productive job as possible and that will Mm -hmm. set you up to be in a position where you can work remotely. I had the realisation once we were in the trip that, wow, I'm actually living this four-hour work week. I'd been applying these principles and when I actually resigned from my position as CEO, because I had made such an effort to contribute to this company as much as possible for an extended period of time, I'm still in a position where I can add value to the organisation. So mm-hmm. that one day a week, I work remotely for the same company. So my one piece of advice would be make yourself as valuable as you can now while you're still working the nine to five and identify those things that you can add value and try to set up so you can work remotely if possible. That mm-hmm. being said, we've come across so many other families on the road who haven't taken as an immediate approach and have literally just said you know what we're doing this we're going to find work on the road and they've made Mm -hmm. it work because believe it or not this lifestyle is actually way cheaper than maintaining Mm -hmm. a house electricity bills gas uh, extracurricular activities for the kids the mortgage the rent whatever it actually works out quite cheaper in a lot of cases even though you're seeing all of these amazing sites and so forth so some people have adopted more of a sink or swim so mm-hmm. that that's the primary source of income but on top of that there's some other skills that you can develop to work remotely that don't require you to be in a physical location and some of these skills don't require you to go back and get a separate university degree some mm-hmm. of these skills like freelance writing there's things like web design podcasting you can learn all of these skills remotely you, there's a lot of free work sorry a lot of free content on the internet on youtube on places like udemy mm-hmm. that will teach you these valuable skills that people are willing to pay for and you can really add value to someone so mm-hmm. we're doing freelance writing as well and not just travel writing either and related to other topics that we we know about as well Great. And maybe just um, I'm wondering about the other families that you meet. Like what like what sort of jobs do they do and then what's the average spend like for you just so that the listeners can kind of get, get their heads around if they're not doing, you know, writing content or working for a previous employee? 
what other options are there? You mentioned graphic design, any other jobs that seem to keep coming up and then, yeah, the average daily spend. Yeah, okay. So when we were were sitting there at a caravan park in a place called Bermagui on the New South Wales coast one day and Mm -hmm. we were talking about something to do with setting up our 12-volt system in our car for a second fridge and all of this sort of stuff. And Mm -hmm. at that point in time, we thought, you know, I don't want to read all this stuff because I'm not much of a reader. I wish there was a podcast about getting ready for family travel. And that's what led us to start the Family Travel Podcast. So this was intentionally not just about learning how to set up your caravan and everything as well, but we've made an intentional effort to interview other families who are Mm -hmm. very travel-focused and particularly travels who know, uh, particularly families who know about a particular topic. So we're in a unique position where we interview families all the time about those exact questions. And one that sticks out in particular is a family who run a Facebook group. And if anyone's interested in traveling around Australia and how to make it work, there's a Facebook Mm -hmm. group called Jobs for Families Traveling Australia. And this family, this husband and wife, who they're known as the wandering jocks, they had this attitude of, I'm not 100% qualified, I'm not 100% sure how to do it, but I'm just going to give this job a good go and I'm going to put in effort and I'm going to work as hard as I can. So there are a lot of families out there who work on uh, cattle stations. They might be doing reception work at a caravan park. Some of them take cleaning jobs. Others find locum work as nurses. They might be labourers. They might be doing something that's 100% related to their current profession. So they might be doing locum physio work around Australia or they might be doing or as an electrician and there's mm-hmm. a lot of work out there that's just not advertised and there's other families who they'll get to places like Darwin like we are now and they'll find work at you know the local golf, golf course as a greenskeeper or working in you know doing bar work and so forth and they'll just get online and get their RSA and next thing you know they've got work which funds their travels so Mm-hmm. there's so many job options for people to make it work a lot of people do different things as well they might be doing doing it through self-funding some people sell their house uh, that's not the path we wanted to take we wanted to have that as a bit of a safety net to come back to but mm-hmm. there, there are literally you know hundreds of different ways people are doing this in terms of the average spend we interviewed one family who have been traveling around Australia uh, well, full-time they've gone all in uh, for $500 a week, uh, mm-hmm. but I've heard of other families who are spending upwards of 1300 It depends on how many you know exciting attractions you want to go to. Do you want to stay in the 100% best caravan parks every time? Or do you want to go exploring and go stay in national parks and go free camping and enjoy the wilderness as well? So, you know, mm-hmm. our expenses have ranged from some weeks literally spending 50 or $100 on groceries and that's it, to... You know, when we drove from Darwin to Uluru in the space of a week and then went back, that was very expensive. I mean, we, we spent probably a couple of thousand dollars just, you know, mostly in diesel and accommodation because mm-hmm. that place was way more expensive. So a family could easily do it on $500 a week uh, if you're willing to make sacrifices or, you know, that average seems to be seven, eight hundred, a thousand dollars a week. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for sharing those facts and figures. It just, um, I think it just helps other families, other listeners 
just consider whether that could be possible if that's something they'd like to do just by knowing the details that sort of yeah. helps to bring yeah that decision forward like is it for us or isn't it another question i had for you michael was around settling down you know when these you, you arrive at a beautiful place and then, you know, a job option or something comes up that interests maybe mum or dad. Do you ever consider staying and um, putting the kids or your eldest one in school and settling down? Is there ever that ten- temptation? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> one of the biggest things that is making us want to come back to Adelaide is not, not our house. It's the fact that we have family there. So mm-hmm. we'll end up settling back down in Adelaide. But... You know, especially around uh, the Sunshine Coast in Queensland or even here in Darwin, there is that temptation because you look at it and you say, wow, Adelaide is very cold in, in winter. Um, mm-hmm. It's not pleasant. You, if, if we went back to our old lifestyle, it would be leaving when it's you know still dark as the, the sun is just coming up, getting home when it's dark again. And, and that's not a pleasant lifestyle. That's not really living life. That's not spending time with your family. So you come here somewhere it's warm and sunny every day and you're having to spend, you get to spend all this time with your family. But we just have to remember as well though that we're seeing it from almost from a tourist's perspective. We're seeing the highlights. We're here for, you know, a few weeks. We're seeing the water parks and we're socialising. We go to a cafe for breakfast or whatever and we think, wow, this place must be amazing. But we haven't really got a sense of, what's employment opportunities really like, what's the cost of living, you know, what's it going to be mm-hmm. like in the wet season. So so we are always looking at nearly every location we go to of, wow, this looks pretty livable or, nah, this is a nice place to visit but I wouldn't want to live here. So, yeah, yeah. that temptation is there every stop. Mm-hmm. And can you sort of paint the picture for the future? Like if you do go back to Adelaide, I'm thinking it sounds like you will do to see family and friends like how are you? How would you like it to be if if it was just the optimal kind of lifestyle when you go to settle back in? Yeah, and look, we've met families who have been travelling indefinitely and literally five or six years on the road with small children. And hats off to them; that is an amazing lifestyle. But I don't think that's for us. Yeah. But at the same time, travel is in our DNA, so. For us, it's actually about, you know, we're looking at designing our life when we do hit Adelaide before we get there. So we're going to have specific goals in terms of how we set up our life um, and our work um, environment as well. So what our ideal is going to be is having a small house that is very low maintenance and work in short chunks and holiday in short chunks as well. So... In an ideal world, it would be we go to a house where we don't have to look after it much. So we're either working or we're with the family. And that time that we're working, it's to save up money to that way we can go, yep, let's go backpacking through Asia for three months. Or, yep, we're saving up for our next mini retirement, which is, you know, 12 weeks in Europe. And not just doing that once a year or once every two years, but almost having three months on, three months off. So that's Mm -hmm. what we're aiming to work back towards because we couldn't go back to working nine to five and just seeing the kids for an hour at night and on weekends. Yeah, I hear that's the kind of lifestyle we're trying to also create. We've yeah. done our three, our three months in Asia, but then there were about ooh, two years between, you know, the next big trip, which is only three months in Brazil. And I don't want to sound greedy. Three weeks is great. But once you've 
you know, had a long travel and my longest travel was two years, it's it's hard to kind of come away from. So, yeah, finding that balance I think is a challenge and having both people, you know, mum and dad both on board with similar goals I think also for us is a challenge too because we tend to get really passionate about our work and then new opportunities come up, new team members come on board and, yeah, sometimes you can kind of lose focus. So yeah. that's a great, a great thing to consider. Yeah, and I think having the your whole team on board is probably one of the most important elements because you know quite often on some of these facebook groups we're in we'll see questions like oh i want to go traveling but how do i convince my hubby or how do i convince my wife and my view on it and i could be completely wrong here is if you have to convince them if you have to try to sell it to them it may not work for us it was a case of natalie mentioned it and i'm like Yes. So within an hour, we're both on board and, and the whole time we've been looking at, you know, how we're going to set up our life long term and we're just on the same page. And I think that's really important because if you're yes. trying to convince each other, it's not going to be sustainable. You might get six weeks down the track and like, you know, I want to get back to my career because it's super important <coughs> to me or something along those lines. Um, yes, I think timing is key finding that time when both are ready to jump and do something exciting and also trying to time it with kids' school commitments and, you know, starting high school or HSC. I think um, everything needs to kind of align to make it work. But if that's the number one goal, then I'm sure it will definitely happen. Yeah, and that is a factor as well. We do want to have that sense of stability and less disruption in those more formative years in secondary education. So while our children are still young, that's when we feel like it's the best best time for us to do it. Can I just quickly ask you before we wrap up about your children, what have you noticed? What are the changes that you've seen, maybe positives and some challenges that you didn't expect along the way? Yeah, well, I guess the biggest one and most notable one for us is our little girl, Chloe. Uh, When we were back where we were living in Adelaide, she had a really close, tight-knit group of friends and, you know, four core ones and a couple of other you know, on the periphery there. But she wasn't that outgoing in terms of meeting and engaging with even other people in her own class. She was actually mm-hmm. so outgoing and um, buoyant with her group of friends, but introverted when it came to the rest of them. <clears throat> Since we've been on the road, we've noticed a massive change in her willingness to go introduce herself to other children, male and female, uh, roughly her own age, maybe a year or two either side as well and instantly strike up a conversation and everything as well. And it's the same with adults as well. She's more willing to openly chat and engage with adults, even our own family, whereas before she used to be quite shy. So when, you know, one of the main, I guess, apprehensions that we, we're very apprehensive about how she'd go with the homeschooling from a social skills point of view. Mm Mm-hmm. We thought she might be more socially isolated and she might actually go backwards, but it was actually quite the opposite. And what about your four-year-old, Michael? How's he been travelling? He makes best friends wherever he goes. So (laughs) we were at Mataranka a couple of weeks ago and we got there late one night. We pulled in the caravan park at, you know, 5.30 in the afternoon, set up, had dinner, went to bed. First thing in the morning, he got up and had breakfast. He's like, okay, I want to go see my friends now. 
And we're like, we only got here last night. You haven't even met anyone yet. So he just, he's just so outgoing and he just assumes that he has friends everywhere. So for him, he's been thriving in terms of the social side of things and even with the academic side of things as Mm -hmm. well. So having, using things like reading eggs or getting him actively involved in understanding the days of the week and numbers and playing games with number recognition on the clock in the car, he's Mm coming ahead in leaps and bounds from that perspective because in the past he used to just be interested in toy trucks <laughs> so so from a learning point of view it's been really good for him as well and eddie our one-year-old well he's just mm-hmm. been progressing through his milestones and ticking them off almost textbooks so not, not too much to report there how do you go parenting you know when they're sort of saying i'm off and walking out into the unknown in a caravan park that you might not be familiar with does do you kind of hang around or hover or yeah how do you parent when there's not such clear boundaries i guess the the thing sorry the thing is that we we create those clear boundaries so there's a standard set of rules that our children have uh, and that they know inside and out we've reinforced from day one so you know no kids are allowed inside our caravan they're not allowed inside anyone else's caravan uh, uh-huh. That's been line of sight. We go meet the families. We know which kids are going and hanging out with. So, yeah, there is, you know, you'd like to think. Game plan. Yeah, mm-hmm. you'd like to think that the world is full of good, but accidents happen. There aren't always the nicest people around as well. So, yeah, we, we, do, we do set boundaries. So <laughs> that's when it's like, I'm going to play with my friends now. It's like, okay, which friends are the caravan next door? Awesome. We can see them there. So Great. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah, these are things you don't really consider, but how would you manage that? So, yeah, thanks for going through those house rules when it comes to yeah. up to a new caravan park. It's awesome. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Michael? I feel like I've gone through lots of questions. I'm looking forward to adding that Facebook page you mentioned, Jobs for Families, to our show notes and also a link to the Family Travel Podcast. Anything else you think is important that you want to share with our listeners and any other things for the show notes? Uh, no, I think I've covered it, but I'll just reiterate that point where ask yourself the question, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, mm-hmm. I may have stalled my career slightly. Natalie may have as well. Totally worth it. If all it means is that we are going to delay our you know, corporate progression by a year or two, is that the end of the world? If we have to go back to our and start again with a new house, is that the end of the world? We've, we're very lucky uh, here in Australia and I think us taking several backwards steps, we're still ahead of a lot of other people who are less fortunate than us. So I think we've all got this amazing opportunity to spend time with our family. It is a choice and there mm-hmm. are a lot of people out there who are doing this same thing, spending a lot of time with their families, having an amazing adventure and they didn't have many resources to start with but they've been able to make it happen and, if anything, are financially better off doing this as well. Great. And those years go so fast, don't they, when you're with the little kids and then I'm thinking sort of from ages, you know, zero to 12, ideal for family travel, less frequent, I guess, when they're teenagers. I know I did see an episode you did with a mom and a teenager that were travelling, but by the sounds of things, it's less common for families with teenagers to do the loop. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are a few of them and you could almost list them by name. Uh-huh. Doing distance education and everything with a high schooler is, is a bit harder. And that's why for us it was a case of it was either now or in 20 years' time. 
Yeah, Michael, thanks so much for joining us today. I've learned so much and I've just um, really appreciated the topic that you came up with today, talking about um, moving out of your CEO lifestyle and into travelling and spending more time with your kids. So thanks again for joining us on Impressive. Have a great travel. When do you plan to go back to Adelaide? Early to mid next year. Depends on how weather goes with us being up in Darwin and the north coast at the moment. Okay, so we can listen to your updates on your podcast. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to find out more about the show notes and download some of those suggestions that Michael generously gave us today, please go to brightchild.com. That's B-R-I-T-E child.com forward slash impressive. And you'll find a whole bunch of helpful tips there. And you can also join our Facebook group so that we can get to know each other. I am looking forward to generating a really friendly, smart and kind community of parents who want to do things differently, find answers faster and take their families further. Thanks for joining us. This was Impressive. Impressive.